Hi, and welcome to The Turbulent World with me, James M. Dorsey, as your host. The irony of Middle Eastern geopolitics is that Israel makes it increasingly difficult for U.S. President Joe Biden to support it, while Iran strengthens domestic U.S. anti-Iranian and pro-Israeli hardliners. The hardliners are emboldened by the failure of calibrated U.S. strikes in response to numerous attacks on U.S. forces in the Middle East and on shipping in the Red Sea to deter Iranian-backed militia groups in Iraq, Syria, and Yemen. The deaths this week of three American soldiers in an attack on a U.S. military base on the Jordanian-Syrian border by an Iranian-backed Iraqi militia alliance potentially mark a watershed that could send regional tensions spinning out of control. American anti-Iranian hardliners and pro-Israeli forces pressure Mr. Biden to strike back hard, possibly by targeting Iran directly. Iran may not direct or plan the attacks, but likely can persuade its non-state allies, who justify their attacks with the Israeli assault on Gaza, to step back. Iran and its non-state partners have publicly affirmed that various militias benefit from Iranian funding, weapon supplies, and training. Iran would like to keep the Middle East at a boiling point, without tensions expanding Gaza into a regional war. Iran benefits from Gaza fueling popular anti-Americanism in the Middle East. So far, rather than use its leverage, Iran cloaks itself in the mantle of plausible deniability. Iran insists that its allied militias independently decide whether to attack U.S. facilities. In a surprise move, Kataeb Hezbollah, a constituent member of the Islamic resistance in Iraq, the alliance that said it attacked the U.S. base in Jordan, announced this week that it had suspended attacking U.S. targets. Denying that Iran was involved in the group's decision-making, Kataeb Hezbollah said the suspension was intended to avoid putting the Iraqi government in a difficult spot. The group likely does not want to complicate negotiations with the United States over a U.S. troop withdrawal from Iraq. We recommend to the brave Mujahideen of the Free Hezbollah Brigades to commit to passive defense temporarily. If any hostile American action occurs towards them, then may Allah decide, the group's leader, Abu Hussein al-Muhammadawi, said in a statement on Telegram. Mr. Muhammadawi's statement came on the heels of a message sent to the Iraqi government warning that the United States would have an appropriate response to groups that attack its forces in Iraq and Syria. Mr. Muhammadawi's predecessor, Abdul Mahdi al-Mudhandis was killed in 2020 in a U.S. strike in Baghdad that targeted Qasem Soleimani, the head of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard's Al-Quds force that manages Iran's ties to non-state allies in the Middle East. Iran has more than one reason to tread carefully. With Russian troops in Syria, Russian President Vladimir Putin has warned his Syrian counterpart Bashar al-Assad 
that he does not want to see Syria embroiled in a regional conflagration. Similarly, China has advised Iran to avoid the risk of a broader Middle East war. The Iranian regime has been emboldened by the crisis and seems ready to fight to its last regional proxy, said CIA Director William Burns. Mounting anti-Iranian sentiments benefit Israel. Mr. Biden's problem is that Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu makes it increasingly difficult for the president to back Israel unconditionally, not only because of Israel's conduct in Gaza and the West Bank, but also due to the extremism of his coalition partners and Likud party members. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is scheduled to visit Jerusalem this week, his sixth visit since the war started, to persuade Israel to change its brutal Gaza and West Bank tactics, help de-escalate re regional tensions, and plan for a transition in Gaza towards restored Palestinian rule. Mr. Netanyahu is unlikely to be very cooperative. This week, he was quick to pour cold water on optimism that further Hamas-Israeli prisoner swaps were in the offing. Mr. Netanyahu rejected a permanent ceasefire, insisted that Israeli troops would remain in Gaza, and vowed not to release thousands of terrorists in exchange for the Hamas-held hostages. An Israeli Channel 12 opinion poll suggested that 50% of Israelis supported Mr. Netanyahu's rejection. A plan crafted this weekend by Gadzari Prime Minister Mohammed bin Abdulrahman al-Thani, Mr. Burns, and the Israeli and Int Egyptian intelligence chiefs envisions a prolonged ceasefire and Hamas-Israel prisoner exchanges. Mr. al-Thani discussed the plan in Washington a day later with Mr. Blinken. The plan is reported the effusion of an original Guthrie and Egyptian plan and an Israeli counter-proposal. The deal involves an initial 45-day ceasefire, during which up to 40 women, elderly, and ill Hamas-held hostages kidnapped during the group's October 7 attack on Israel would be exchanged for 4,000 Palestinians incarcerated in Israel. A second and third phase to be negotiated towards the end of the 45-day truce would see swaps of first Israeli women soldiers and then male military personnel and the remains of hostages killed in captivity for an unspecified number of Palestinians in Israeli prisons. Hamas holds 136 hostages and bodies captive. In November, the group freed more than 100 hostages in exchange for 240 Palestinian prisoners. Mr. Netanyahu, speaking out of both sides of his mouth, rejected key elements of the plan at a religious seminary in a West Bank settlement. His remarks appeared designed to hoodwink Israel's far right who populate his cabinet. Mr. Netanyahu spoke as Ismail Haniyeh, the head of Hamas's political bureau, winged his way to Cairo to discuss the latest proposal with Egyptian spy chief General Abbas Kamel. Before leaving for Cairo, Mr. Haniyeh said 
Hamas is open to discussing any serious and practical initiatives or ideas, provided that they lead to a comprehensive cessation of aggression. Stressing that a permanent ceasefire is our goal, Hamas political bureau member Mohammed Nazal told Al Jazeera that we can do the permanent ceasefire in the second, the third stage of a prisoner exchange agreement. He warned that otherwise the battle and the war between us and the Israeli forces will continue. The trick in bridging the gap between Hamas and Israel is a formula that would allow both parties to claim they had achieved their irreconcilable goals, a permanent ceasefire versus a continuation of the war. One formula under consideration is a lengthy ceasefire with no formal end to the war. This would allow Hamas to bet on Israel not getting Western support for a revival of hostilities. Some diplomats suggest that describing the ceasefire as transitional could make it easier for Hamas to back down from its insistence on a permanent ceasefire and withdrawal of Israeli forces. Even so, it's a formula that Hamas's Gaza-based leadership, as opposed to exile leaders, is likely to reject. Gazan Hamas leader Yahya Sinwar, who tops Israel's most wanted list, is widely viewed as a hardliner, whose term is slated to end under the group's term limits, if Hamas were to move ahead with elections scheduled for later this year. Mr. Haniyeh, the hostage negotiator, and Mr. Sinwar's predecessor, is widely viewed as a front-runner in an election. Senior Israeli military figures argue that Israel needs to translate its achievements in Gaza diplomatically to prevent Hamas from filling the vacuum in Gaza. Like elsewhere in Gaza, Hamas's ability to rebuild a system of governance and law and order was evident in Gaza's Shatila refugee camp, to which the group returned as soon as Israeli troops left. Mr. Netanyahu made his remarks as not only Hamas reasserted itself in parts of Gaza, but also Israel's far right. Hours earlier, far-right National Security Minister Itamar Ben-Gvir tweeted, reckless deal equals dissolution of the government. The far-right, including 12 of Mr. Netanyahu's ministers and 15 coalition lawmakers, gathered in Jerusalem last weekend in what a Haaretz newspaper headline called an orgy of Jewish supremacy and anti-democratic euphoria encouraged by Netanyahu. The conference called for Israeli reoccupation of Gaza, expulsion of Palestinians, and Israeli settlement of the Strip. The Channel 12 opinion poll suggested that 38% of Israelis favored Jewish resettlement of Gaza. White House National Security Council spokesman John Kirby described statements by Israeli ministers at the conference as irresponsible, reckless, incendiary. We have made clear that there can be no reduction in Gazan territory, Mr. Kirby said. Tellingly, Mr. Netanyahu denounced protests by relatives of the more than 100 Hamas-held hostages as aiding the militant Palestinian group, 
but remained silent about the far-right gathering. The families demand that the government prioritize the release of the hostages, even if that requires an end to the war. Mr. Netanyahu's domestic difficulties, enhanced by the Channel 12 opinion poll, suggesting that he and his far-right coalition partners would lose a next election, have fueled speculation that the Prime Minister has no interest in a prisoner deal, let alone in ending the war. What you saw on Sunday wasn't startup nation Israel. It wasn't 13 Nobel Prizes Israel. It wasn't Weizmann Institute of Science Israel, nor Iron Dome Technology Israel. It was not liberal democratic Israel. What you saw was messianic ecstasy and religious fervor in a position of power said Israeli journalist Alon Pinkas, addressing Mr. Biden directly. What you saw was not just the far-right elements in Netanyahu's government trying to make a point by demonstrating that they completely control him politically. This is him, unadulterated, unhinged Netanyahu, Mr. Pinkas added. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed today's column and podcast. The Turbulent World with James M. Dorsey depends on the support of its readers. For the past 12 years, I have maintained free distribution as a way of maximizing impact. I am determined to keep it that way. However, to avoid putting up a paywall, I need the support of a core of voluntary paid subscribers to cover the cost of producing the column and podcast. If you believe that the column and podcast add value to your understanding and that of the broader public, please consider becoming a paid subscriber. You can do so by clicking on Substack on the subscription button at www.jamesmdorsey.substack.com and choosing one of the subscription options. Thank you. Take care and best wishes.